0: The book of Hebrews up front is um, letting you know really quick you need to have a pretty good grasp of the Old Testament because the book of Hebrews gives a lot of scriptures, a lot of stories, a lot of doctrines, and just gives you little snippets. doesn't really give you necessarily the whole passage. It just says you understand. You, you understand uh, a lot of the, the smaller little nuances of the Old Testament that really only the rabbis or theologians uh, would really know, uh, maybe be taught in a Bible college and, and stuff. But here in the book of Hebrews, it assumes that you basically have a, a Bible college degree uh, in the Old Testament. And if not, you quickly start going, what are they talking about here? And so we have to sort of take a moment and go back and look at some of that and talk about that and and uh, and really, if uh, you want to understand it fully, you gotta get a good commentary on the Book of Hebrews or listen to a number of d- different teachings on it. And um, and so what you have here is a, a group of, of Jews who have come to Christ or come to know about Christianity. Depends on which commentary you read, what, to what degree um, they have come to know Christ, but they clearly know about Christ and what he did. And, um, and they basically are saying, if we go with the Christianity thing, or maybe they have been with the Christianity thing for a while, they're saying, uh, we're missing some things. You know, I mean, you know, when you, if you were a Catholic, for example, um, you might miss the big cathedrals and stained glass windows and the beautiful echo in there when everybody's singing. And you, you might miss some of the, the pomp and the traditions. Um, you know, may, maybe there's some warm feelings you have as a little kindergartner going in there and listening to a group of ladies singing Uh, you know, to Mary and praying the Hail Marys. And and, and maybe you have some good experiences going into the confessional and pouring it all out for the priest. And, you know, it wasn't all bad. Now, some of it is just out-and-out heresy. (laughs) Some of it is just going against the scriptures if you really read the Bible on that. And, of course, with Judaism, the Jewish, the Judaism, the time of Christ was absolutely apostate. It was full of so many traditions, and many of those traditions were absolutely contradicting scripture. And Jesus pointed that out. In order for you to keep your traditions, you have to violate clear scriptures to do it. And he pointed that out to the Pharisees. But man can make some pretty good, fun religion. You know, I mean, like I said, you got the big temple, you got the high priest, you got the outfits, you have all the holidays, which were basically family holidays, all all revolved around Judaism. You had Friday night supper always; the whole family's going to be together for the Shabbat meal. And now in Christianity, you know, we don't really have that meal like we used to every Friday. Um, We're not we're not doing tabernacles. Where we all make a little tent and live in it for a week. Um, there, you know, some of the tradition has um, taken away in my mind uh, the, 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 the orderliness of, of serving God. But when you, you look at Christ and His nature, you realize that's that was you guys made that up. And you enjoyed it. You made it up and you did it and you enjoyed it. But when you look at me, this simple guy from Nazareth, <laughs> this carpenter from Nazareth, and I just cruised around the Sea of Galilee and people sat down on the grass, and I taught them and, and prayed for them. And of course, miracles happened. And, and um, I just said, hear what I say and go and do it. And it was, you know, there wasn't cathedrals, there wasn't an organized religion. When Jesus died on the cross, uh, there was no organized religion going on. and as a matter of fact, he had not talked about any organized religion. He had really talked about the church, the body of Christ, coming together as believers, living as believers. But the whole idea of the grand poobah hats of the Catholic church or the grand poobah hats of the high priest, that that was all a shadow. The high, The whole thing of the priesthood and the and the Old Testament and all the laws and the Sabbaths and the new moons and the festivals, they were all prophesying of Christ. And in Christ, they were all fulfilled. And so uh, it's now Christ is our all in all. And it's just in him we live and move and have our being. And uh, it doesn't have to be this pomp and this religious thing. But again, if you were raised in that, you know, there, there's parts of it that, especially as you get older. I, I don't know why it is. You know, I mean my wife are, uh, you know, I'm 50. She's in her 60s now. She's six months older than me. But I love it when that decade happens, you know. I'm in my 30s. My wife's in her 40s. Of course, she's just turned 40. But. So, uh, but you, you go back and you, I don't know, you, you have more some... All the old bad stuff is gone, and you just have a lot of tender thoughts, especially if you've come out of a religion. And I think this is what's happening here. I think some of these people that came to Christ under Paul and Peter, and now they're getting older, and, and, and they're having warm and fuzzy feelings about past Judaism, and uh, they're saying, hey, I, I think I'd like to go back to Judaism. And, and Paul is having a conniption over that fact, that they would think that that could happen. But to be honest with you, if your Christianity has become stale and even dead, does it really matter which dead religion you go to? <laughs> if you're not in a living relationship with Christ and, and the church isn't this body that's on fire and healthy, it's a dead thing. Well, you know, go to that dead church or go to that dead church is really a lot of difference. And so there's some really serious issues here. The issue is, is why would they think this up? Why would they think this is okay? Why is it they don't see the absolute essential need for Christ? And, and in their th- thoughts, uh, we don't, I don't know if we really need Christ. I think within Judaism itself, there was enough for us to be right with God. And of course, that is heresy. So in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Therefore... And when there's a therefore, we ask, what's therefore, therefore? And it's talking about what was before. If you remember, Jesus is greater than angels in particular. And in the last chapter, he says, Jesus is our high priest. And Jesus went into the heavenlies. And, and, and there, um, he, he sat down at the right hand of the Father after doing the work of the high priest uh, at the mercy seat in heaven. He calls them holy brethren. You know, again, that some people, that that makes it clear to them they were Christians. Um, But again, would would a Jew trying to reach Jews that weren't yet reached for Christ, call them brethren or holy? Yeah, I think it could be. I mean, just a few weeks ago, I was talking to some Mormons, and I I said, my dear brother Mormon, do I really think he's a brother in Christ? No, I don't but yet that was the term and endearment I had. So this could be an endearment towards Jews or clear believers. It depends on, again, how you look at that. It says, Partakers of the heavenly calling considered the apostle apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. So guys, you are the, the holy brethren. You're people that have been called by God, Jews who are called uh, God's special chosen people because of uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And of course, we become holy brethren in Christ. You know, that God does look at us as believers, as holy, as he is holy Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's, It's incredible to think in heaven that you look at Jesus in righteousness, and they could look at you and your twins. You're identical. You are exactly as righteous as Christ is. And we are partakers of the heavenly calling. And this is, uh, again, a a mind-blowing thing. In Hebrews 2.10, he says, To bring many sons into glory. In 1 John 4.17, it says, Because as he is, so are we in this world. That right now, we are partakers with Christ. Now and and for eternity. And, And so, again, as he is... So are we now, and so will we be throughout eternity. Uh, he went into that in chapter 2. We're brothers with Christ. Christ came into human flesh and called us brethren. And, and Jesus rose again from the dead. We, he was in a human flesh, and he resurrected into heavenly human flesh. So Jesus is now eternally human but in a heavenly body. It's a radical, radical truth that when Christ came into Bethlehem, it wasn't just becoming a man for 33 years and then everything going back the way it was before he left heaven. No, as he is, that's how we are. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead, a human raising from the dead into a heavenly body But nevertheless, for eternity, uh, a human God in uh, human flesh, a heavenly flesh, but uh, forever our brother. And so throughout all eternity, uh, he has been made like us, that we could become righteous as he is righteous. And uh, that was in chapter 2 there. But um, he says here, consider this. The word consider... Katonain is, is to it's the same word in Luke 12, 24, where Jesus says, consider the ravens. Uh, calculate it out. Think about this. Focus on this. Christ is our apostle. Christ is our high priest. And and so, first of all, I want you to consider Jesus as the apostle. Now that's the word sent one, right? Probably the best translation today would be an ambassador. That Jesus came as the ambassador of God the Father, declaring to us what the Father is saying. But he's the sent one. And this is an important point that, that it says that God is reaching out to man by sending his only begotten Son in John 3:34, it's emphatic. For he, the Father, whom God has sent, speaks the word of God. For God does not give the Spirit by, by measure to that person, Jesus. In John 5, 36 and 37, But I have a greater witness than John for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me and the Father himself who has sent me, has testified of me, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. In John 20, 21, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So consider how powerful it is that the Father sent Jesus, the Son, to proclaim the word to us. And so, today, it's 2020, right? Why? The dating system of the entire planet is focused on Christ. They're trying to now say BCE, before the common era. Say, what common era? They come up with the most ridiculous things. And you know, ADE, after common era, it's like, what's the common era? And they try to say philosophy and all kinds of things. But guys, it's a fact. You, you may not like it. I, I, I can remember going into Hungary and Yugoslavia and preaching on the streets. And, and, um, and these guys were an atheist, raised under you know, Russians, you know, atheism to the nth degree. But they were like, they saw the flaws in it. They, they were like, look, I know lying is wrong, stealing is wrong, rape is wrong, adultery is wrong. But why? Why would I know that? And why do I feel guilty about that? And why do we all equally feel guilty about that? And they're just like, I, I know still wrong. Help me. Know why. Please. And then I tell them, you're made by God. You're made in his image. He put your conscience in you and, and share the scriptures. And they immediately. And I, and I say, you know what, Why? what year it is? They said, yeah, the whole dating system of the world. The Russians, under communism, taught them clearly that. That the dating system is built around Jesus Christ, and so um, again, today, any way you want to slice it or dice it, you know. And I love uh, you know George Bush. I don't know if George, if George, if uh, Trump does that, but but both of the Bush's presidents would always do everything in longhand. You know, they say 1989, the year of our Lord Jesus Christ, on every document that they, they did, and I, I, I hope that Trump does that as well, I don't know, but to make it clear, this is the, the reason it's 2020, it's 2020 years ago, since God sent his ambassador. <laughs> and that ambassador had works, had words that was like nothing ever heard before. And those words today are still powerful. There, there is no moral truth that has been taught clearer than Jesus. And uh, philosophers and sociologists have to identify that as the fact. But also consider reason, focus, think about it, calculate it out. Jesus is the high priest. Now he's talked about this. And actually in the chapters to come, we're going to be talking about this some more. But, so if you think about it though, the ambassador is God the Father, the King. Sending Jesus to us. But the high priest, if you remember, is the one bringing the person to God. The whole point of the high priest is he's sacrificing on behalf of the people, he's bringing the people's sin to God. He's listening and talking and ministering to the people on behalf of God. So in, in both cases, you have Jesus, the apostle, God reaching man. And then you have Jesus, the high priest, man reaching to God. And they're both in Christ Jesus. He's the one that that connects us. And he said, hold that confession. The word confession just means the same thing. You're in agreement. You know that 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, a lot of times people think that's like you got to, cry a little bit and be humble and say it in a hushed voice, you know, Father, forgive me, I, you know. No, the confession means I agree with it. You know, God says lying is sin and I lied and I'm not going to call it a white lie or, you know, give an excuse, I'm just going to agree with God. Yes, I sinned. If we confess our sins, agree with God that sin is sin, then He can be faithful and righteous to forgive you of that sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Well, in Hebrews 3, 2, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. Now, he once again is going to go into Jesus is better than Moses. And Moses was an amazing leader. And and, in God's house, referring to God's people, the Jews, Moses was a faithful leader a uh, minister appointed by God, ordained by God to, in that time period to be a faithful servant and minister, and indeed he was. And in Numbers 12:7, God speaking says, Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. And boy, to find a faithful servant of God is a difficult thing. And in chapter 3, verse 3 through 5 now, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who has built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for the testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. Matter of fact, the very end of the first five books of the Bible, called the books of Moses, the Torah, the Pentateuch, it actually ends in Deuteronomy 34, verse 10 through 12, talking about Moses. And I won't read them all, but verse 10 it says, but since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So Moses was a unique man of God in history. But let's not confuse the fact that he was a servant building the house. Jesus is the son, the designer, and the creator of the house. Moses might have been a faithful servant in the house, but Jesus is the builder of the house. He's the creator of it. And in chapter 3, verse 6 now, But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, Firm to the end. So Moses was a servant in God's house, but Jesus is the son over God's house. And of course, Moses was simply over the children of Israel of that generation. Jesus is the Savior of the whole world, and everybody can become children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, if not by blood as a Jew, through adoption. But Jesus again, the Son. In Matthew three seventeen, it says there is a voice came out of heaven. This is Jesus is being baptized. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. In Matthew seventeen five, <clears throat> this is the Mount of Transfiguration. A cloud overshadowed them, and the voice came out. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him or listen to him. In John three sixteen, we know that for God's so love of the world, He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him, in the Son, shall not perish but have everlasting life. We are the house if we continue believing in Christ. First Peter 2, 5 says that, for you also are living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, holy priesthood, offer to up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you have two things going on here. The one hand, you have the grace of, of Christ the son of god is much greater than the servant the and the law of moses and this is going to keep going on and expanding as we go through the book of hebrews well in chapter 3 verse 7 through 11 now therefore as the holy spirit says interesting this is now getting ready to quote psalms 95 verse 7 through 11 that's Hebrews three seven through eleven. Interesting, they're the both verses. That rarely happens, you know. Seven through eleven. It's Psalms ninety five and seven through eleven. Hebrews three. But um, in this psalm, it, you know, we attribute it to David. But here it tells us no, it wasn't just David, a man, writing some beautiful song. That this was the Holy Spirit prophesying through David. And he says there, and I'm not going to read Psalm ninety five seven through eleven because it's almost identical. But let's just read Hebrews eleven. Verse 7 there, Therefore the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my way. So I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now this concept, not entering His rest, is going to be all of chapter 4 which I think is the best chapter of the book of Hebrews. Uh, Next week we'll we'll be covering that. But we see here that the Holy Spirit is clearly speaking that they're, they're just unwilling to hear God's voice. And there's just a hardness of their heart to not believe, to not put faith and trust in God. And uh, that's the sin. You know, we're going to see here uh, this falling away and their hearts getting hard and leaving God and walking away from God. It's not lust or greed or bitterness. It's simply trusting in Christ to be Savior. You know, years ago I heard the, the greatest sin that we can ever commit is not believing Christ can. That's it. Well, I've, I've sinned too many times. Well, do you believe that Christ can forgive you 70 times 7 daily? Do you think that Jesus on the cross took all of your sins or 90% of your sins and you were responsible to take care of 10%? Or did Christ die for all of your sins? Did you just commit a sin that Christ didn't know about 2000 years ago when he died on the cross? It's like, man, I thought I got all those sins. And then you take this left turn and start doing sins I never considered. I didn't die on the cross for him. I mean, it just starts getting ridiculous. Either you're going to believe that Christ can and Christ will. You know, his, where our sin abounds, his grace abounds more. And it's just having faith. And this is where, you know, they, they're saying, well, I'd like to believe in Christ. But this trusting Christ thing is sort of hard. I, going back to Judaism, all I got to do is one, two, three, and I'm good to go, you know? And I, I've seen that. Again, as, I, as people get older, you know, within the Catholic Church, they go back because, man, trusting Christ is harder. But yet, if I just go to the priest, confess, and then he's there to give me the last rites, I'm in heaven. He takes care of it all for me. I don't have to worry about my own walk with the Lord. The priest take care of it. The Catholic Church takes care of it for me. And you say, yeah, one of faith, one of works. One leading on the work of man, one trusting only in the work of Christ. This is what's similarly going on with Judaism here. And so um, he says, this this is the, the historical record of the Old Testament of the Jews. We know the story, right? They leave Egypt. And then they're all mad at Moses because Pharaoh's chasing them, and they're trapped in, and they, they go across the Red Sea. They rejoice, and then they're immediately ready to kill Moses because there's no water. And then God brings water out of the rock, and they rejoice. And then we're going to die. No, here's the manna. Just collect it six days on the sixth day. Collect enough for the seventh day. And they go out the first day. They collect more than they should. It gets all wormy and smelly. And then on the sixth day, they say, oh, don't take any extra because it'll be all wormy and smelly. No, it would be wormy and smelly the first five days. The sixth day, it won't be that way because God says collect enough. But then they get up on the Sabbath. There's no manna. And they're all freaking out. They just couldn't hear his voice and simply obey it. And it just keeps getting worse and worse, doesn't it? Moses is gone with the 10 commandments there and, and they, they get a golden calf and they're worshiping it. He comes back, it's a, it's a mess. But we know the ultimate thing that happens, right? In, in Numbers 13 and 14. This is after God's been working with them. He said, I didn't take you directly into the promised land, but I, want, I took you through the desert. Uh, I wanted you to learn to trust with the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. I wanted you to learn. To, to, to take from God's hand that manna daily. I, and I wanted to test your hearts with different battles that came up with the Malachites and the Moabites and some others. And, I, you know, to help you to learn to trust in me. But then they finally come to the Jordan, right? Twelve spies go across. And they come back with this incredible load of fruit. I love that statue where you got Joshua and Caleb and the and the the stick is bending and there's these massive grapes and and they come back and and they, all the people are there and excited and they say, what's the word? And Joshua and Caleb, you know, they're young guys. They're, uh, they're wanting to talk, but the older guys go, it's horrible. The, you know, the, the, the walls are fortified and they're giants. There's no way we're grasshoppers. We're dead. I can't believe we ever left Egypt. I can't believe Moses did this to us. And just start freaking out. And then Joshua and Caleb go, hold it, guys. Man, giants are small to God. And as and, and far as I'm concerned, those cities are nothing to God. And let's get out there. These, these giants are bread and butter. I'm ready to eat them up. And then they get angry at Joshua and Caleb. They want to kill them because they're irritating them with their faith. And Moses steps in Aaron, and they get all mad at them. And, and then finally, God speaks and just says, that's it. All of you guys are gonna die in the wilderness. You're not gonna go into the promised land because you don't have faith. And what did they do? They got up the next morning going, we get it. We should have been walking by faith. We're gonna step out in faith right now and go over and start fighting them. And Moses says, you'll lose. God's not in that. You're gonna fight a battle God hasn't told you to fight and you're gonna lose because they're giants. Those guys are huge. And, and, and they go out and they try. They lose. They come back. Oh, I can't believe we lost. And it was just such a mess because they their hearts were hard. They just couldn't listen to the simplicity of God's voice and obey it. I remember when our kids were, were small and that, that stubborn heart, especially our fourth son. I, my wife would say to them, stand up. Sit down. Stand on one leg. Just trying to get them and just every little a bit, you know time to go to bed and they get on the oh, start climbing up the stairs. oh, at that rate, it's going to take him twenty years you know and and we'd say, slow obedience is no obedience. You have to give them a little sWAT or whatever it was they just and then that stubbornness in their heart what's the proverb say you know that that foolishness is bound up in the heart, but uh, the rod. <laughs> of understanding will, will help that, that foolishness change. And so, again, they're now in the New Testament. And if you would, we're, we're heading to the promised land. <laughs> and there's enemies, and we cross over our Jordans, and we've got to, by faith, conquer all the sin and vice and, and struggles of what we go through, right? You know? Life's, life's incredibly difficult and complicated. And, and, and if you don't get your eyes on the Lord, it, it, gets, it gets so messy that, that it starts to cause you to lose faith that God is in it, even though it looks crazy. Like, where's God in this mess? He's there. He's there in the mess. We can't always see. Well, why would he allow it? You know, the Bible never says God's gonna tell you about all the whys. You know, I, I know my, my kids used to say, Hey, I wanna have so somebody over to spend the night. No, we're not gonna do that. Well why? Now if I tell them why, that guy's a bad influence on you. We've had a long week, we're tired, don't wanna deal with a bunch of your little friends this week. I mean, if I told them the reasons why, they would say, That is the stupidest reading I've ever heard. I wanna have my friends over here now more than ever. That's that's your argument? You lose, Dad. But I think the same way with God, We, you know, he'd say, why? Why did that happen? And and if he gave us an answer, we would say, that's ridiculous. God doesn't tell us why, but faith is, again, um, not seeing, not knowing, but knowing the nature of God, that he would not allow anything to touch our lives unless there was a purpose in it, right? All things work together for good, and, and this is it. And in verse 12 and 13, he goes on and says, Beware, brethren. This is the second of several bewares. But he says, Let there be, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So he tells us this is something that can happen quickly. You think, um, it take ten years to walk away from God and to walk away from walking by faith and start living a disobedient life. The disobedience here he's talking about is unbelief, and uh, he's saying, "No, no, the heart is fickle, and and if you get your eyes off the Lord and 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 begin listening to." your flesh or non-believing people or Satan or whatever, quickly you begin to create a philosophy of lies. So you've been creating why this happens and that happens. That's not according to God's truth and God's nature. And your hearts start getting harder and harder. And all of a sudden, quicker than you could imagine, you your heart is completely hard against God. It's an evil heart of unbelief. And so, again, it's, it's interesting how God looks at an unbelieving heart as an evil heart. And he says, exhort one another quickly. Don't, don't even let the sun go down. Do it right away, because this can happen so quick. And um, it's interesting, the word exhort there is the word paracletos which is the same word for helper and comforter of the Holy Spirit. For example, in John 14, 16, I will pray the Father who will give you another, it's that word, parakletos, that he may abide with you forever. So in essence, you be um, like the Holy Spirit who's a helper, a comforter, an exhorter. And so again, you can see the gentleness. The Holy Spirit's a dove, right? It's not a big giant Hawk or eagle, ah you know attacking. It's, it's this gentle, gentle creature. in a gentle, loving way, come along to them and say, man, that guy at work is, is telling you is not the truth. you know that, that reasoning that you're you're being a part of that's it's it's, it's a thoughts that acknowledge against the, the knowledge of Christ and those are strongholds of Satan we need to pull down. and to to help them, uh, to wash them in the water of the word. And in verse 14, For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. He said this in verse 6, and now he's saying it again. He's making it clear that the life in Christ, it's a continuous life by faith to the very end. It tells us that in Romans 1.17, right? Um, For the righteousness of God is declared from faith, what? To faith. And I'll tell you, it is a different faith every few years. There's deeper challenges, I think, as you get older. I I can see why, you know, that after these guys were living 500, 1,000 years old and and God said, I'm gonna keep man down to 120 years. It's like man, I, like I said, I, I'll be six years old here in a few months, and man, my heart's crusty. It gets older. It starts getting tired and cynical, and and uh, and I, I, I realize, man, to keep yourself in the a tender love of uh, love of Christ in your 60s, 70s, 80s, but man, 110? I don't think so. That's that's. I'm glad. Uh, I don't think I'll have to worry about that. But here again, he he says that. Um, our faith needs to continue not in a heart of disobedience, but a heart of obedience, which is a continual faith in Christ. Now, this is a doctrine that's a a difficult doctrine. I talked to John about it today, saying, how would you teach this, John, to make sure that it's on on par here, so if there's any complaints, I can say, go talk to John. Um, But... Uh, it get, this is going to be hit on again in chapter 6 and again in chapter 10. Um, and that's the issue of eternal security. Um, Paul talks about this in Colossians 1.23. He says, If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. And also in Romans 11.22, Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell severity. But towards you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And, of course, in Romans 11, he's talking about the Jews and and how, again, they rejected uh, God and they rejected the Messiah. And, therefore, God has rejected them for a season. And then he comes to the believers, he's saying, hey, don't get haughty, don't get boastful. Um, You also need to understand, like the Jews need to understand the goodness and the severity of God. You as Christian believers also need to understand the goodness and the severity of God. It says in Romans 8 that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, finishing up here in verse 15 to 19, while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He's now re- going back, and verse 15 is Psalms 95, seven, verse 7 and 8 again. He says, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses, except for Joshua and Caleb, but yeah, the majority. Now, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. They had a hardened heart set against trusting in God. And therefore, they left Egypt, they saw the miracles, they walked across the Red Sea, they ate manna from heaven... They drank the water supernatural out of the rock, and that Christ was the rock, that was his flowing water. This was, you know, Jesus uh, is the manna that's coming out of heaven. They're partaking of the manna, they're drinking of this water of life, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar or the pillar, cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. They they saw the, the the presence of God on Mount Sinai. They they saw the Lord do miracles and fighting battles for them. Um, they, they saw so many things. They experienced so many things. But yet they just walked for 40 years complaining about that stinking manna. They, they didn't like this. They didn't want to be here. They didn't want to be there. And they carried their idols out of Egypt. They still had their false idols with them. And, and they were there eating the manna, drinking the water, experiencing the presence of God with a hard, unbelieving heart. And he says to us, as now in the New Testament, these Jewish believers, you're sort of in a New Testament way, repeating what your forefathers did by wanting to go back to Judaism, like they wanted to go back to Egypt. And uh, the fact is here, is that you need to just receive joyfully the manna, unlike your father's. You need to drink of that living water of Christ and rejoice that God is going to take you across the Jordan. He's going to win all the battles, and he's going to do it and, uh, and have that complete faith in him. Lord, we just come before you now as we get half a thought, as we're going to go into chapter 4 and finish this thought. But we come before you now, Lord, and, and ask that we all would enter that rest. That we would just have faith, if any here are doubting tonight, that, that you love them, that you, we would know there's no depths to your love, no depths to your patience. That you got a hold of us, and you're not letting us go. Far as your part, we can be faithless, but you're going to remain faithful. We can stumble and fall, but we can fall seven times and get up seven times, because your grace is sufficient no matter what we are in. Your grace is sufficient, for our sin abounds, your grace abounds more. In our weakness, your strength is made perfect. In our sickness, your strength is made perfect. And we thank you, God, that we trust in you. Whether we understand it all or not, we know you are our salvation from A to Z. You're the author and the finisher of our faith. You began this good work, will complete it because our eyes are steadfast upon you and there is no salvation in any other. And there's no religion or religiousness or organization that can substitute walking daily with you. In Jesus' name, amen.